This episode is brought to you by Great Waters Financial. If there's not an expression of creativity somewhere, then there's something missing in the life experience. Join us as we talk to comedian Bob Stromberg on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 15 of the Bold Idea Podcast. We're so glad you can be a part of it. This is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. And we are bringing you the, well, you know what? Our goal, Armin, every week is to bring a little bit of inspiration and maybe some thinking about the way in which each of us are equipped by God to do something special, unique, and we have a pretty unique guy to bring out on the program today. We do. This is a guy who's brought laughter to many, who's brought joy to many, who's brought creativity into this world in many ways, and uh, we're excited to have him. Yeah, I first met Bob Stromberg when I went to Triple Espresso. I went to several of these, actually, just a comedy show that he and two others wrote and directed and starred in and played for like a dozen years. Two million people have seen this show, one of the longest running shows that has broken a lot of box office records. But I've had the opportunity to meet Bob on a number of occasions, and he's just a really fascinating guy and uh, some of his videos are just great this guy created a video with um as part of an outreach just to bring awareness to the human trafficking situation and he did some work in this not for sale campaign that you want you might have seen Armin that that video I was on their board oh well there you go well I guess you did see it then and I guess that video won a Clio award and so uh, good work for that that's great the Chicago Sun Times refers to Bob as a mesmerizing physical comedian and if you watch his videos and what he can do with his hands and his face and his body you will know why he said that and he's genuinely a funny man according to London Times and according to me (laughs) Yeah, and anybody that's seen him, I think, would say the same. And this is the one guy that I think you could just look at without him saying any words, and he can make you laugh just using eyes and eyebrows. That's right. Deal. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. So, welcome to the program, Bob Stromberg. We're so glad to have you. Uh, thanks so much. Great to be with you guys. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you. And in fact, gotta say, you're the first guy that has been on this program that has wowed Howard Stern. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Wait, oh, I, and I, I am so proud of that. I can't even tell you. <laughs> You're going to have to give a little backstory to how that happened, Bob. Would you like it? Yeah, I was on America's Got Talent. And I realized pretty early on in the process, I actually got promoted from one city to the next, and on to Vegas and the whole bit. You're going to Vegas. And oh, that was so exciting. But it About, I don't know, maybe the, the second city I realized oh, this isn't, this isn't really a talent show. This is a reality show. So as, as <laughs> my friend Joe Castillo says, who went, who went all the way to the end in America's Got Talent, he's the sand artist who you would love to talk to on this podcast sometime, by mm. the way. Yeah, Joe says, America's Got Talent, America votes, and the producers decide. So 
<laughs> so I don't really know how Howard felt about my work, but boy, he was excited that night. So I, I, I have a feeling it was all written out for him on the sheet in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like it was a lot of fun. It you know, fun. Uh, Bob, I got to know you as a performing artist really through Triple Espresso. I was one of the two million people that, that watched that show and that had a long run. Twelve years, was it? Well, it, it ran 13 years here in Minnesota, and it was 11 years it ran in San Diego, and, and it, it went to, oh, I think we've been in 75 cities now, from San Diego to the West End of London. It really was. in 17 months, if you can imagine that, in, in Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> oh, <God's laughs> without great. stopping. So that was an amazing, really kind of a theater phenomenon, and which we see, honestly, we just see as a God thing, because you can't plan that. You can try, but very, very seldom does something like that happen. It was just the right time that God had for us and we were so thankful for it. And it was a life changer for us. Well, and it was really a lot of fun. In fact, we had, you know, our family had a little bit part in one of your performances because we came in late and there were eight or 10 of us, I think. And I think it might've been you, Bob, that says, welcome the Von Trapp family. (laughs) (laughs) Let's give them a hand, everybody. Exactly. (laughs) So it was a nice way to start, start a routine. Well, Bob, you're quite the comedian. I've always enjoyed watching your performances and the stuff that you do with your head and your hands. I mean, it's just incredible. We'll have some links to some of those on our show notes just so, so people can see some of the stuff that you can do with your body is, is amazing. But as a comedian, kind of how, how did you get inspired to this career? I think I, I had a natural inclination toward comedy when I was a kid. I knew really early on. I mean, my first, some of my very first memories are of making my parents laugh and how that delighted them, which delighted me that I could make my, my folks laugh. And then I... <laughs> Instead of cry? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't make them cry very often. They would, they would, they would say that that's true. I also realized when I got to school, oh, I can make my classmates laugh too. And I, I kind of had a knack for that. I honestly, you guys, I, I would have been the class clown. That was like my highest aspiration. Unfortunately, my father was the principal. So that was... <laughs> but it's a damper on that one. That was, that was impossible for me to realize that dream. But I realized early on that I could make my folks laugh. I, I have an experience. This is amazing. I, I was eight years old and sitting in music class, a third grade. So there are 35 kids there, and Miss Nagel came in. Miss Nagel was a really very, very large woman. And she sat down with her back end spilling over the bench of our classroom's upright piano there, and which we always got a kick out of. And she began pounding out the chords to this song that we hadn't heard before. It was number 14 in our music books. I, I still remember. Now I'm 64 years old. I remember it 50 years ago. Well, what is that? I'm sorry. That's not very good math. 56 years ago. I, I remember. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> that's right. Who's counting? I remember it was page 14. I can see the little picture at the top of the page, a little Amish guy walking through a, 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 a late autumn meadow. And she began playing the song Shenandoah. Hmm. And, oh, Shenandoah, I long to see you gone away, you rolling river. And we began singing it, 35 of us. Now, I, I can't imagine how badly that sounded in that room, <laughs> honestly. But I burst into tears. Mm. And because, and I didn't know why. It was just, it moved me so much. Eight, eight years old, I burst into tears. Mm. All my classmates turned to look at me, which is not something I enjoyed. And then Miss Nagel came down the aisle. She asked me what was wrong. And of course, an eight-year-old cannot explain what being overwhelmed by the yeah. beauty of art yeah. is. Mm-hmm. But that's what was happening. I, I was overwhelmed 
overwhelmed by the beauty of that song, Shenandoah. Mm. And that, that really was, I look at that, at that moment in that music class, eight years old, as the beginning of a quest to recreate that sensation. I experienced it other times in my life. I remember as a, as a teenager, a young teenager sitting with my dad, uh, watching the Ed Sullivan show. I remember watching the Smothers Brothers and watching my dad laugh. And, and that made me laugh. And of course, <laughs> I, I was laughing at the Smothers Brothers as well. Mm-hmm. I can remember the same thing with a young Richard Pryor. At that time, obviously, this he was safe and he was clean because he was on the Ed Sullivan show. Right. But I remember, I remember both of us just laughing in hysterics and having a similar feeling of just being overwhelmed by something that was happening in that performance. And again, a kid can't put that together. Even a even a teenager can't understand what's happening. But I was just being drawn into this whole art area. And, and for me specifically in the area of performance, I later studied uh, art as well with uh, painting and, and graphic arts and so on, because I was drawn toward that. But it all began to that eight years old in that music class. So when you were eight and this happened, did you realize that something profound was going on here and that you decided you wanted to orient your life pursuit around that? Or did that occur to you later when you look back saying, oh, you know, that was that was kind of something that happened back then? Yeah, that occurred to me later uh, at the time. I, I was just thinking there's something, <laughs> there must be something wrong with me. Did you get sent to the principal's <laughs> office? <laughs> I didn't get sent to the principal's office, but it was like, well, that's weird. Nobody else is feeling this. And I'm, I'm sobbing away in <laughs> right. the middle of a music class. Right. And you know, a teacher might think, well, he must be having a problem at home or there must be something wrong with his, his parents' relationship. But that wasn't the case. I, mean, I had an idyllic childhood. In fact, I've often said, because you've heard the expression that all great art comes from great suffering. Mm-hmm. I actually had a college professor tell me, he said, you know, you don't belong in the arts, Bob. <laughs> your uh, art won't amount to much because you haven't we, suffered much. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't need a smiley like guy like you here in the arts. You know, we, uh, go into nursing or something, you know. Well, that's, that's, well, that's a depressing thought right yeah, there, so that ought to qualify you. <laughs> yeah, hospitals might be able to use a smiley guy like you, but we don't need you here. I mean, he actually said that wow. to me. So I look back and I realize I overcame an idyllic childhood to become a performing artist, which is <laughs> actually almost unheard of. So, a suffering, yeah. suffering that we all have to bear at some point. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> That's great. So, Bob, tell me about you put on this comic persona, I'm guessing, then as a kid, right, that, yep. that you wanted to make people laugh. And I did. And I know when I was a kid there were times when I put that on as well. And there were times when it got me into a lot of trouble because, you know, people would never see the other side of me and they could never quite tell if there was, if it was just veneer. How did you manage that? You know, (laughs) as you were growing up to keep a certain authenticity about who you are, maybe even, you know, into your adult life and yet still make people laugh because sometimes it's so easy, right. To use humor as a way to guard yourself from disclosure or maybe even to deflect some serious pain that somebody else might be feeling. Yeah, I think I really can thank my parents for helping me with that a lot because, again, with my dad being the principal, my mom was a teacher's aide, and it was real apparent to me that my behavior, I, I had to behave a certain way, and it would not be acceptable for me to do some of these things in school. I remember one time hearing uh, my parents had Bible study at their at their house every every now and then it, it switched from different houses but but all the adults would come I remember I remember I was the I was the little kid who collected all the the men's top hats and put it, laid them on the bed carefully so they wouldn't get squished you know mm-hmm. but I remember somebody coming in late one night and somebody said well it's about time and everybody in the group 
cracked up. And I remember thinking, this is, I am literally six years old at this point. And I thought, that's a funny line. Somebody, <laughs> somebody said, oh, it's about time. And everybody laughed. Well, you can imagine that happening in a group of people. Oh, yeah, right. So I, I couldn't wait to get into. To use that to, line. <laughs> oh, yes. In first, first grade, Mrs. Hermanson. And she came in. And when she came in, I said, well, it's about time. And I looked around with a big <laughs> smile on my face thinking everybody's going to think this is great. Of course, other kids are looking at me like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and and that, that, is the, that is literally the only time that I was sent to the principal's office for behavior <laughs> in first grade. <laughs> wondered what didn't work, right? (laughs) I never did it again. It's interesting because even as an adult, it's easy to get in trouble with humor sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially with, with wit. You need to respond quickly. You need to trust your comedic instincts. And if you don't trust them, then you hesitate two or three seconds. It's too late to say what you were going to say. So you need to say them. And sometimes, especially in my younger years, I, I can't think of thing, anything right off the top of my head, but I trusted that. So I would say something, but it would end up maybe not being appropriate. And I would have, I would have egg on my face and have to apologize <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes. So I'm, I imagine that could still happen today, but it doesn't often, mm-hmm. doesn't often happen. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you more about what you're up to today. But before I do, I want to ask you a question that might catch you off guard. But what do you find is so powerful about comedy in general? Comedy as a form of communication, in any kind of communication, the idea is to connect with one's audience, to connect with them personally, and to be able to move them in some way toward something, either to enable them to do something, to teach them to do something, or to persuade them to do something or do something else. That's the idea. But when you begin communicating with somebody, there are always walls there that that people put up. And comedy is, I think it's the best wall buster that there is. When I stand up in front of an audience, if I'm asked to speak, for example, I'm not just coming in and do comedy, but I'm asked to speak, maybe share something, some aspect of my, of the faith with, with people. When I stand up, uh, I could just begin, I could go right into to a scriptural text and begin b- and building that out, which would be fine, but people still have a wall up between us, where if I can make them laugh first, it's a process of earning the right for them to to listen to me. I, I guess that's what I would say it is. And the walls come down, and people are ready to listen. I've noticed that. I Years ago, I, I probably did, in the first 10 years of my career, I probably did three, 4,000 school assembly programs. I mean, I'd come walking in, and, and arms would be crossed, and the front row would have their feet up on the edge of the stage. It's just like, well, go ahead, see if you can do anything with us. <laughs> and if I could make them laugh. I could see the faces change. I could see the posture change with these kids. And I realized the wall's down now and I can communicate with these kids. That's the same thing now when I go into a business meeting. I'll go in sometimes a noon hour thing. People have just had lunch. They're, they're a little sleepy. They had long morning, tough, intense meetings in the morning. And after lunch, they're sitting there a little sleepy with their arms crossed. It's the same deal. It's the same process of breaking down those walls through humor so that I can communicate something of importance with them. I can't agree with that more. I I know one of the things I learned from some of the pastors that have tried to teach me how to speak, they always tell me, Armin, one of the most important things you can learn is comedy because your story is way too intense. You need to figure out a way to make them laugh. And when it's an intense situation, it's not that hard to make people laugh because they're desperate for that break. (laughs) Yeah, right. And it's crazy how effective it is 
when you're the speaker and you make them laugh, it's instantaneous how much it changes the environment, how immediate they engage with you. I can't imagine anything else I've learned about speaking that was more effective than humor, which may sound dramatic, but having a dramatic story, it really was the best thing for me to learn. So I appreciate someone like you who can guide people through that. But all that to say, I'm more curious about what are you doing now? Where have you taken all this art and comedy and stand-up and speaking and all these things that you've done in your past? Where have you brought that to now? And what are you up to today? Well, it's interesting. You know, I realized recently that I have been doing this for 40 years. I just celebrated 40 years mm. doing what I do, which just being sort of an elite group of artists, because I only know of a couple other people who have done the same. And I discovered this because I was down in the basement of my house, digging through some old books, and I found calendars. And I found a calendar from 1975. I opened it up to September 15th, 1975. And there was my first professional booking written on this work calendar. Mm. And I came upstairs and I, I, I said to my wife, Judy, I said, Judy, this is like an anniversary. I've been doing this for 40 years. And she said, huh. And that was the extent of the celebration uh, right there. <laughs> so no confetti. So it's, you know, it's interesting because for about the last 20 years, people have been saying to me, you know, it's really time for you to, to pass the baton to mm. some younger folks coming behind. Mm. Which surprised me because I hadn't realized that I'd even been given the baton yet. I didn't have a sense of, oh, oh, I have a baton. <laughs> okay, well, how would I do this? But even from what you've said, you you mentioned, Larry, about how I, I move my head or move my body with stuff. I, I can't teach a lot of, of that stuff. It's It's so integral to who I am and how I have found my comic persona, my performance persona through the years. It's really integral to who I am. It's not a different me. It's the same me. So when I'm at home, I'm not I'm not performing. But when I'm on stage performing, it's still me. I don't feel like I'm putting on a, anything fake at all. Mm -hmm. So I realize I, I can't teach a lot of what I do. But I realize there's something very important that I can teach. And that is how I was able to do this for 40 years. That's something that I can teach mm -hmm. people. I can help people with. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I know you could not at all teach me to do what you do with your hands and head because I'm too stiff. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I, I am too. Oh, yeah, days. sure you are. Me, yeah. People, uh, people watch us, some of the things I do on the internet, and they say, oh, can you do that when you come for our performance? And I say, uh, no, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> right. People, yeah, people say, oh, do the thing where you walk behind the stairs, you know, behind that curtain. I did that for almost 40 years, and people always said to me, how do you do that with your knees? And I remembered uh, thinking, well, what's what's with people's knees? I don't get this. And then one day I woke up a couple of years ago, and I went, oh, <laughs> now I, I see get what it. I, I see what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, Armin, I have a question for you. A little nervous, but go ahead. Bring it on. What would your 65-year-old self say to you right now? Oh, well, it would probably start with a slap upside my head and follow with a please stop being an idiot. Ha, exactly. I'm glad you agree. Thanks a lot. Larry. How did you know? <laughs>
Have you encountered my old self? <laughs> no, I've encountered mine too. Oh. That's why we all need to know about Great Waters Financial. All right, listen, all kidding aside, Great Waters Financial is a company that I would put my name and reputation behind any chance I get. It's a company filled with people that I know firsthand, have character, have integrity, you can trust and you can rely on. And this is a company that I believe is one of the best at what they do. Great Waters Financial, based here in Minneapolis, is a financial planning team that will help you customize a financial plan just for you to get you into retirement and to live it greatly. And they prepared a report for our listeners to download the six things your 65-year-old self would want you to know about Social Security. And if you want to see that report, just go to greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea. Investment advisory services offered through Advisor Net Wealth Management. Great Waters Financial and Advisor Net Wealth Management are not affiliated. Insurance products provided by Great Waters Financial, a Minnesota insurance agency. All right. Well, Bob, you're obviously a creative guy and you've applied that through 40 years of doing what you do, which is, which is really great. Now, I know a lot of people don't necessarily think of themselves as a comedian or, or artsy at all, or even creative. And how would you respond to people who say they think they're creative or don't have a creative bone in their body? Yeah, I don't even hesitate. I say, well, you know what? You may be right. You may not be creative, but you used to be. We all were. When we were infants, we rolled from our front side to our back all by ourselves. And that, mm-hmm. boy, we were excited about that. And then later we got up and we rocked back and forth on our on our knees and our faces just lit up. We'd never done that before. And then we learned to crawl and we walked and we, we piled blocks on top of each other and knocked them down. And we held a crayon in our hand for the first time and dragged it across the paper and made those marks. And we, and we learned that that face that we could make, the way we could scrunch our nose up, made our parents laugh. And until the age of 10 or so, most everyone experienced a really high level of creativity through a medium that we call play. All of our play, every bit of the playing that we did as young children was very, very creative play. But by middle school, it pretty much was gone for most folks. And, and that has to do with, with several things. For one thing, it has to do with our educational system. I don't know if you remember this, guys, but I sure do. I remember that in multiple choice tests, there was only one right answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I often found out I didn't have the right answer, but there was only one. And when I used to you put numbers on top of each other and you had to do multiplying or adding and subtracting and all in formulas, there was only one right answer. You had to have it right down to the right number. Every number had to be in the correct order. One right answer. Well, that's not the way creativity works. Creativity is not finding the one right answer. Creativity is considering many, many right answers and choosing one that might be suitable, one that might work well. So a lot of our creative spirit gets educated right out of us by the time we're in middle school. And it's on your podcast, I can talk about these kinds of things. On other podcasts, I can't do this. But frankly, I think it's a part of the spiritual warfare that we we -hmm. live in. Mm -hmm. I really believe that creativity is woven right into our genes. I mean, think about this. We're created in the image of our creator who created the universe and everything in it, including us. So that creative spirit, I really believe it's woven into our genes. We wouldn't have 
We wouldn't have survived as a race had we not used what God wove into our genes, this, that creative spirit, that creative ability. So it's there and it can be rediscovered and re-experienced, which brings fulfillment into our lives. I really think without an expression of creativity in our lives and in everyone's life, if there's not an expression of creativity somewhere, then there's something missing in the life experience. But it can be reclaimed, and we can rediscover what is rightfully ours, what we were born with. Mm -hmm. So, Bob, apart from regressing back to our childhood and crayons and all the rest to rediscover our creativity, how do we do that as adults today? Well, we need to practice the fundamentals of creativity. I was a high school football player, and I actually played on two undefeated teams, and we had a real good coach, and we had what were called Tuesday fundamental disciplines. So Tuesdays were fundamental disciplines days. Everybody knew, oh, it's Tuesday, it's fundamental disciplines. And we went back and practiced the same things that we had been practicing in August. In the middle of November, we were still going back and doing these very basic fundamental drills. Our coach just kept driving that into us. I hated the fundamentals. It was just so difficult and not very much fun. Fortunately, the, the fundamentals of creativity are more fun than that. I actually discovered these, well, I was kind of forced to discover these fundamentals. It's interesting because these three disciplines are practiced by every creative person, whether they know it or not. And what are they? Uh, I've put these in a, an acronym, a G-I-T. I say, this is how you can get, G-I-T, this is how you can get your masters of creativity. Hmm. Here's how you do it. You grab you interrogate, and you transform. So G for grab, you grab anything that grabs you emotionally. And when I say emotionally, I mean any of your emotions, not just the ones where you laugh out loud but when you're by yourself or that make you weep like I did in, when I was eight years old, but everything in between and out to the sides, all of your emotional range. You grab anything that grabs you. When I say grab, I mean you write it down. We're not grabbing I'm not suggesting that you grab great ideas, although sometimes you might get a great idea and you, you want to grab it, write that down. But I'm suggesting you just grab anything that moves you at all emotionally. That would be my wife. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> grab your wife. That's right. Grab your wife. Keep going. Because <laughs> I think I'm going to interrogate her in a minute. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or I could grab your wife. Yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> but you, you need to grab what grabs you emotionally. We have an emotional life. All of us do. In fact, neuroscience teaches that every thought has an emotional component to it. Every single thought that goes through our brain has an emotional component to it. When that rises to the level where we can actually feel something like, oh, that boy, that makes me feel a little sad to see that what just happened there to that little girl, or that tickled me to see that kid in the grocery store who did this. Or when that person said this to me, it really hurt because you grab these things, and you just jot them down. They aren't ideas. They're just thoughts or impressions or experiences. And it doesn't take long before you develop quite a long list of these on a, on a piece of paper, or more likely, most of us these days grab something by speaking into our notes on our phone. Mm -hmm. And then when you've grabbed those things, then you go back and you interrogate them. You say, why did you, why did you move me? Why do I still feel that when I think 
about when I remember that experience. What could you be? How could I use you? Are you a short story? Could I use you in a painting? Are you a character in a novel? Are you a chapter in a novel? Are you the beginning of a whole book? And you just, you begin to ask, what what could you be used? Now, you won't get an answer necessarily right away, and then you just leave it, and you come back the next day, and you just peruse that list again. One or two, three of those things will pop out at you, and you you go at them. What, why, why do you keep moving? You're interrogating it to find the truth. Now, the aha moment for any creative person, for any artist, the aha moment is the moment that that thought that you grabbed becomes an idea that you now can use. So, for example, if we're, if we're talking about if you're a, a pastor or you're a public speaker, some, some other kind of public speaker, you always need to have illustrative material, uh, story illustrations. Mm-hmm. So you grab these thoughts. They're not stories. They're just things that happened to you, impressions that went through your mind that moved you emotionally in some way. You grab them. You keep coming back to them. And I have discovered this over and over again. And as I've been teaching this for years, pastors have said this, that this is one of the most useful things to come back and interrogate those things that you've grabbed. And very often through the miracle of your, of your mind and through the work of the Holy Spirit working together, that thought will give you the truth about itself, will show you how it can be used, and you'll have that aha moment at just the right moment. Very often when a pastor is looking for an illustration, it'll jump out to them and they'll go, ah, there it is, I've got it. Mm-hmm. And of course, a personal illustration, something that comes from your own life, is always more powerful than one that you grab off the internet or you grab out of a book, a book somewhere. So you grab, you interrogate, you experience that aha moment when what you've interrogated gives you the truth about what it can be, and then you transform it into that thing. You paint that painting, or you write that story, or that blog, or you begin fleshing out that character, or I've been watching a show recently called Chef's Table. I've just been blown away to see how these chefs from around the world, the top chefs go through this very same process. They grab, they interrogate, and they transform to come up with these new dishes. Hmm. When I created my online course, Mastering the Craft of Creativity, I literally interviewed 18 creatives, very creative people, Grammy and Dove Award-winning or nominated songwriters and New York Times bestsellers and an award-winning Broadway playwright and director, one of the country's top drummers and the maestro of the Hollywood Bowl, a whole slew of of different types of creative people. And when I described this process that I had learned about grabbing and interrogating and transforming, and I learned this by simply looking back at 40 years and going, how have I done this? And I realized everything that I've created, every bit of it was through the process of grabbing and interrogating and transforming. And I identify those things as, as the three fundamental disciplines of creativity. And as I described these to these creative people, almost all who had simply been doing those things intuitively, as I did as well for the first half of my career, probably two thirds of my career, their eyes just lit up when they realized, oh my goodness, that's it. That's what I've been doing. That's how I write these songs. That's how I find them. That's how I find my stories. I grab and I interrogate and I transform. So uh, it was really quite exciting to realize that is something that I can 
I can teach. I can, I can help people to understand that. And that can be really beneficial to them. Yeah. So talk about your course. You have training that you can help people yeah. rediscover their creative spirit and, yeah. and get their juices flowing again and using mm-hmm. your three-step process that you mm-hmm. just outlined. How does your training program work? What is that all about? Mastering the Craft of Creativity is an online course. And over the course of six weeks, it teaches the disciplines of grabbing and interrogating and transforming. Yeah. And is this for everyone? I mean, uh, if you don't consider yourself a creative person, maybe you're a business person solving problems in the marketplace. You don't consider yourself a performing artist or somebody who's going to stand up in front of others or prepare art for artistic consumption. Is this applicable to them? Is it helpful for those? It is helpful and applicable to them. And I've had some people like the ones you're describing who have expressed that it's been helpful. I really created it for those people who maybe listening to her going, I know I've got something that I want. Uh, I, I want to express the creativity within me. Uh, I've always wanted to try this, or I've always wanted to try that. I want, I want it. I want to sing. I want to write. I want to write music or books, or I want to do a blog and people start a blog and, and, and they write for a, a week and they're done. <laughs> they can't think of anything more to write about. So really I wrote it for, for people who don't necessarily want to be an artist, but they want to express themselves creatively. More creatively. I get it. And yeah. where do they find yeah. out about your program? They could go to my website, which is bobstromberg.com, and there's a bunch of information about it there. And and also, I would be happy. I, I could set up a page. In fact, I will. I'll set up a page just for your listeners at bobstromberg.com forward slash bold. Awesome. I'll have on there. Uh, certainly, the course will be there. It's only available twice a year. I would be delighted to open the back door for your listeners if they would like to to get in. I've also got some other fun things. I have a a 30-minute free training video. If people did nothing more than simply watch that video and do what the video teaches, honestly, it could be life-changing. I have a very fun little quiz there. It, It takes three or four minutes to take this quiz. There are literally three questions in the quiz, and you can find out how creative you are. In fact, specifically, you can find out if you are as creative as Steve Martin. <laughs> well, I certainly know I've enjoyed the videos that I've watched of you. And of course, your live performances as well. But I've been out to your website. and I've looked at some of those videos. you got some great resources out there. We will have all those links in our show notes. So our listeners can just go straight to the show notes and get links to all the stuff that you've just described. Bob, let me ask you kind of a final question. I'm, yeah. I'm always curious you know, like with a comedian or somebody who is, who is, you know, so much as riding on getting a laugh, you know, in, in getting the audience stirred up and getting them to really respond to you as a person, you know, and I'm just, I'm just wondering about a war story. Can you talk about a time when you have flopped? Oh, yes. This is, uh, it's kind of ironic actually, because I've been telling people in the last several years that I finally feel like I've gotten really good at what I do. Honestly, I'm, I'm 64 and it's only in the last several years I've gone, there it is. I'm, (laughs) I finally have landed in a way I know how to do what I do. And Mm -hmm. I, I've had a, a real confidence about going into almost any situation and I can go in and I can love these people and they're going to respond to me. And I recently had a performance. And I say recently, I mean, in the last six weeks, Mm -hmm. I had a performance for a, a business deal. And I do lots of business things, lots of corporate things. But these these men walked in 
sat down on their chairs, and I started into my show, the same one that I've done many, many times and always succeeded with, <laughs> <laughs> always. And I started in, and honestly, I was, I was contracted to do 60 Minutes. I think there were three or four laughs in, <laughs> in the, whole, the, the whole thing. And at first there's a, there's a sense of panic. Yeah. Oh my, oh my goodness. This isn't, this isn't good. And then there's a, I, I got a little ticked. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? What is the, what is the matter with you? Then I started thinking that when I, when I talked to the president of the organization a month or so, he was the guy who hired me. And I said, uh, why are you bringing me in? And he said, well, we have a morale problem in our <laughs> <laughs> So halfway through my, this is that part of the, there's a voice ha talking in, in your head all the time when you're performing. It's that other, that, that third eye, that, that person outside yourself is going, how's things going? Oh, yeah, that's good. That was good. Everything's fine. While you're talking, that voice is talking to you. And that voice said to me, oh yeah, they have a morale problem and this is it right here. <laughs> so I think probably you should take your check and go home, you know, which is, which is what I, what I did, but it happens, <laughs> you know, I watched some of my comedian friends, Ken Davis is a good friend of mine and hysterically funny guy. Yes, I love and Ken. I've, I've watched him sometimes and thought he couldn't fail. There's where, where could this man ever fail? But we get together and tell these kind of horror stories because you, you can, and it, sometimes you don't know why other times, you know, it's because my mic wasn't working <laughs> or they didn't have any lights on my face at all. So I lost I lost one of the major tools that I have for communicating and doing comedy, which is my facial expressions. They didn't see any of them. Mm -hmm. So there are things like that that you can identify, but sometimes you just do not know. And with Triple Espresso, I know that the, the other, my, my partners, Bill Arnold and Michael Pierce Stanley, we often would see somebody sitting in the front row who would refuse to respond in any way, just refuse. And you know, you you could have a tendency to kind of get a little angry, like what is the what is wrong with that person? But then you realize, oh, there could be lots of things wrong yeah, with that. Person. That's right. I mean, that person might have lost his wife last week or yeah. a child. Mm -hmm. And so I honestly, my performances are great opportunities to pray. And that other voice, that other part of me is is praying all the time. So when I see people like that, I'm praying for that that person, that I might be able to break through, that the walls might come down, that he might be open to what God would do in his heart. I always pray before performances that God would touch people, that, that the Holy Spirit would, would help them to laugh from the depths of their heart, and that that would be a ministry to them and bless them in ways that I can't even understand. And when things are going real well, that other part of me is praying loudly. I can, I can hear myself praying, thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this group and for the for the privilege of being able to do what I do and mm -hmm. to have been able to do it all these years. I am so grateful, God, that you have you've blessed me in, in this way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I'll do that all the way through a performance. I'll yeah. just be praising God while I'm telling these stories and nobody would ever know that that's happening, but, but it's happening. Well, you know, thanks for that. Thanks for that yeah. insight because just hearing that is exciting to me because that, that ought to be the attitude that we have in all of the endeavors that God gives us to do, right? Is to, is to have that attitude of prayer of both of Thanksgiving and also a blessing. And what an example of that. Bob, thanks for being on the Bold Idea podcast. We're so glad that you're able to make some time to be with us today. And we'll have links to all your stuff for our listeners and 
And may you, may you make many more people laugh and see the heart of God in the process. Well, thanks so much. And thank you both for the great work you do. I really appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Thanks again. All right, God bless, mm-hmm. Bob. Thank you. Well, our mean, funny guy, Bob Stromberg, and he's taken on a pretty serious topic today about, you know, helping us unleash our creativity. Yeah. I don't know if when he was talking, he was doing all the hand gesturing and stuff that he does, but it kind of would have been funny if we would have done this as a video podcast. Maybe there's some of that going on in the background, right? It would have made it more fascinating. I think so. And, you know, it's always fun just to kind of imagine what our guests might be doing when they're on the other side of a call. Hey, but anyway, let's do what we normally do here and unpack this a little bit because I think there's some good stuff that Bob brought to the table today, and let's yeah. let's talk through some of that. What were some of your takeaways? So. So here's what's really powerful about what Bob is talking about. And I just want to validate Bob more than I I want to give takeaways, I guess. And I don't know how many people know this, but when my wife and I first tried to get pregnant, it took us a while to get pregnant. And then once we got pregnant, within eight and a half weeks, we miscarried, but we miscarried twice. So at that point, we had no idea what we were pregnant with. So we miscarried twins. And it was probably one of the most devastating periods of my wife's life. I I don't know if it was as emotional for me, so I'm not going to try to pretend like it was that devastating for me. It was, it was painful, but for my wife, sure. It was devastating. Mm -hmm. I have never seen her in that much pain. It was emotional catastrophe at that moment. And I watched my wife, go into this pit of depression. I remember her at some point coming out of it and going into prayer mode where it was even hard for her to pray. And at some point she kept getting this image from God. It was like she was doing this painting or something. It was like a painting that she did. She hadn't done it yet, but she just kept getting a visual of it. And then at some point she heard from God saying, I don't know the specifics of the story, but I know she heard from God that she should paint again. And by no means is she like a professional painter, Mm -hmm. taking painting classes all her life type person. It was just really felt led to paint all things. Mm -hmm. Prayer didn't work. Worship didn't work. Reading the word didn't work. But painting, that's what she felt like she was supposed to do. And she does this painting and she ends up painting this. It's like the face of Jesus and he's got the crown of thorns and blood coming down his face and Mm. all this stuff. But long story short, I watched God put this impression on her to use her creativity. And I watched her creativity literally pull her out of the pit of depression. And not just that. Let, Let me take it here. My wife has created literally a ministry that's based on creativity. People come to her, ask her and commission her and pay her basically to paint something for them. And then she'll go and she'll spend hours, days, if not weeks praying to get something for this person that'll commission her. And I have watched her paint pieces for people who are by no means Christian you know, like people she's met at a yoga studio who are Buddhist and stuff like that. And she'll paint these pieces and then she'll give it to them and say, Hey, I just really felt like God wanted me to do this for you and God, this word for me. And they'll be so impactful that I've watched her time and time again, make people break down and cry because they've never heard from God, but 
God uses her and mm. uses her creativity to paint pieces yes. that is in the most beautiful way wrecked people and said, I did not know God existed or would ever speak to me until you gave me this. And it mm-hmm. was a piece of canvas with paint on mm-hmm. that she did. I have watched creativity be a tool for God, at least when I watch, I am not creative, but my wife, I've watched her use creativity to minister to people, to evangelize people, bring hope to people, bring meaning to people. And I've watched her insert God into people's lives who would never accept God unless that one way that God used, which was creativity. Yeah. And you know, that's what Bob touched on that too. You remember he said, when you start to communicate someone, there's always walls, right? And Mm -hmm. what your wife did in her painting was break down those walls. And what Bob says comedy does for him is to help break down those walls to create that resistance because there's something inside of us that is responsive to creative works of art, you know, beauty. Yeah. And comedy is a way of expressing that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a form of beauty. It's a form of art and it gets around the defenses that we have. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you go and see something just magnificent, you lower your defenses and it's like, wow, you, you were touched at a, at a certain part in your life. And you remember Bob talked about that early in his his life when he became aware of that was listening to that song Shenandoah or trying to sing the song Shenandoah you know I was trying to imagine when he was saying that about all these little kids and what that had to sound like (laughs) trying to sing that song but he talked about how he was in tears you know and because it touched him in a deep and resonant place Mm -hmm. and that's what art and and creativity really does because we are made in the image of a creator Mm -hmm. so expressing that and giving life to it can not only be a ministry to somebody else, as you were saying with yeah. Ashley, but the other part you, you mentioned with her was that it helped revive her own spirit. Minister to her. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if we pay enough attention to the creative part of our lives. I can tell you when I was in high school, I felt great about getting through college without having to take any English or literature classes. And, and there's like, Anything creative, I stayed away from. It was like That's I didn't want. So I, shocking! I, You're I, such a creative person. Well, I, it, or that part of me has come to life later in life. Hmm. Early on, it was like if it wasn't something in the physical sciences, yeah, I, I had no interest in it. You That's know, it was so like, funny. And so I would think that all of that would be a waste of time. But to see it as a rich way to connect in a real visceral right at the heart level yeah not only with other people but with god himself because he is the master creator Mm. that is like really the high ground that we need to cultivate and work on in our lives right and you know i love that bob has put together a program that can help people people get through that and he's a great comedian for doing that and somebody that has a lot of talent to to bring i love that he he was asked about you know passing the baton right and he said i have a baton i mean he kind of realized that you don't know i'm still in this game and it's not like you know it's like and think of myself as having a baton now at my age i can identify with that you know it's right. you're, you, maybe when you get a little older i mean you will too but right now i'm kind of like Oh, there's. I'm supposed to give this up to somebody. I don't. You know, I'm not. I'm not ready to give it up. You know, but I love his breakdown in the how to revive your creative spirit. Right to grab an idea and to interrogate it and to transform it. And that's a very simple way to think about the creative process. But what I was struck with most out of this dialogue today that we had with him was the the word grab. Not just because I made fun about grabbing my wife, but. But because it's it's an area that I'm really trying to focus on right now in my life is to be more attentive. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that go on that don't 
allow me to stay in the present and be attentive to what's around me. And, and I just think, you know, at some point in time I might get to heaven and I might ask God a bunch of questions. He says, that was already there. You just didn't notice it. Oh, wow. You know, that yeah. all those things were already just right in front of you and mm-hmm. you didn't notice it. And I think I've shared, at least on the Reinventure Me podcast, a time when Anna had challenged me about people in my life when I was feeling a little discouraged. And she said, they're already there. Yeah. You know what? I was like, yeah. you're right. You know, yeah. I'm just wanting something that isn't what I thought I even had. Hmm. And it was a great wake up call. And I think I need those. And I need guys like Bob to remind me, you know, look around you and see right. the creative work that is happening every day. And the clarion call, really, to mm. borrow <laughs> an overused phrase, but the clarion call for us to also rise up and do something creative in our own lives, because we're right. made to do two things: we're made to create and we're made to redeem. And that's what our that's what our Lord did, and that's what we're to do, because we're made in His image. We are made to create and we are made to redeem. And those are the that's you know how how much more could we say than that? I mean, and I love Bob's examples here. Yeah, he's just a great guy. I think it's spot on. I think it's something that everyone needs. So if you're listening to this, listen, if you're if you're in a funk, if you're in doubt, if you are looking for what's next or whatever set type of situation you're in and you've tried praying and you've, you've tried just reading the Bible and nothing has clicked, try something different. Get creative. Yeah. Maybe it is painting. Maybe it is journaling. Maybe it is trying to write a poem that you feel like God is speaking to you. Maybe it's, I don't know, ballroom dancing with Larry and his wife, or whatever <laughs> it might be. But get creative and see how God can use you because there's no way that this the creator of the universe did not create you in his image and for you not to be creative. I think there's creative solutions to your problems. There's creative solutions to the challenges and obstacles and depression and grief or whatever else that you're facing. And I think creativity could be the power that unleashes you into the world in a way that will give you the victory that you've been praying for. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, and you mentioned poetry. You made me think I have on my wall a poem written by a male friend of mine. <laughs> How many times do you get that? You right. know, but you know, just don't let anything constrain you from just unleashing the creative spirit that you have within you, because that's what we're made and designed to do. Amen. And, uh, so I'm so glad Bob was on the program today. Thank we want to get your takeaways. How have you been exploring the whole creative side of yourself? What are some of the ways in which you've stepped out? Leave us a comment on our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash one five or call us on our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to get the dialogue going about how can we revive our creative spirit and what are some of the things that you've done and seen the transforming work of being a creative person yourself in what you're doing. So thanks for joining us this week. This is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. We'll say so long and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.